5, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at just one verse, verse 14 this evening, uh, is what we're going to look at. Uh, we're going to kick off our Bible studies, and uh, very excited about that, and we're going to pray for uh, the Bible study leaders this evening, but I want to talk to you about why a Bible study is so important. Now, in our fellowship, in our church, we do a lot of Bible stuff. We really do. We just had serious men. Uh, for the first time in a while, we have Sunday schools. We have services. We have revivals. We just finished a revival. Uh, we hear lots of preaching. We hear lots of the Word of God. We hear lots of, uh, of Bible. Why is a Bible study so important? Well, one aspect, of course, would be the normal aspect that people would say is that it is to help Pastors, every pastor, I mean, Pastor Greg made the statement one time when we were praying for the Bible study leaders in Prescott. He said, every man on this platform who's in ministry at one time led a Bible study. Now, I led a Bible study on Cape Cod. It it was uh, a little while ago, um, like 1986-ish, before some of you were like, a twinkle in your mom, dad's eye, whatever. And so, a long time ago, but I did. I've led Bible studies, do Bible studies. For a while, I was trying a Bible study at a nursing home. It just began to be too much of a uh, hassle with all, you know, our COVID and testing and this and that and uh, staff and such. But uh, Bible studies, we do. But there's something more than just having the leaders learn how to do a Bible study and preach, which can be painful. You know, I, you know um, when we first got married, my wife was, you know, she's learning to cook, the timing of everything, how to get the potatoes ready with the meat, and, you know, so that it's not like, oh, this is ready and that's not. You know, it takes time to learn to prepare things like that. It takes time to learn to prepare how to study and such. That's all fine. And so, but there's a greater need because of fellowship. There's something about a Bible study, a smaller group that has a different atmosphere than a church service that is very healthy. We need each other. It was 19, I'm sorry, it was 2019. It was the Pittsburgh Marathon. There was a, man, a woman running. Her name was Laura Mazur. And she was struggling. She was feeling paranoid because she didn't want to finish last. Jessica Robinson had never met her before, but came up to her around mile marker 14. Mazur was running her 12th marathon. This was Robinson's first And so as they met, they began to talk, and uh, 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 Robinson was uh, said she was feeling defeated with her performance, and then she noticed Mazzara beside her. They began to talk and chat, and they began to buddy up. And for the rest of the race, Mazzara wrote on Facebook. I told her to stay with me, and I would stay with her. 
want to show you a little video right now. This is these two ladies as they're finishing the marathon. Here they are, holding hands, encouraging one another to finish. They're the last two to finish in 2019. You can see the cruisers behind them. There they go, getting across that finish line, helping each other, encouraging each other to do this. Mazan said, despite the holding up the rear of the race, it was clear along the route that spectators were cheering them on. At mile 25, they met a whole section that would go on through the 26.2 miles of the race. So there was great crowd support. You feel like royalty. You feel like a real athlete. I don't know if you noticed, but they don't really look like real athletes. They look like a couple of moms who went out to run a race one day. Said it was super. It was awesome. The encouragement propelled them forward. Robinson said that, uh, she said, we made it to mile 26. I can do two tenths more, she said. I took her by the hand, and that's what you saw there at the end of the race. They grabbed each other's hands. They said, let's go. We've done, uh, we've, uh, we've, uh, it's been so great that we've done everything done. Let's do it together. Let's finish what we started. There's something about a Bible study that begins to help us because it knits people together. There's relationships, and we're going to talk about that, that will be formed in a Bible study that may not be necessarily just formed in a regular service that is very, very healthy. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Now, if you read the end of Thessalonians, and we may, I did a Bible study on it years ago. I called it instructions to the church. Paul is just shotgunning issues. Pray without ceasing. Uh, You know, uh, uh, just on and on. He just names just numbers of things. Rejoice. Do not quench the spirit. uh, The gifts. uh, Encourage one another. Just these ideas that he just throws out there. These are just kind of a random uh, uh, kind of closing like, hey, here's a list of things to keep in mind. And one of these is caring for each other. Church... The job of a church is, to, of course, to bring the gospel clear to uh, the nations and to send out workers to bring out the good news. But in the midst of that, it is also to help each other make it to heaven. I asked in the Sunday school, who wants to go to heaven, right? Everybody raised their hands. And, of course, you know, I hope you want to go to heaven. The alternative is really, really bad. But the truth of the matter is we all need to... Help each other. 2017, it was the teamwork of 58 Indian Army Service Corps. Now, these are not the Indians like, uh, you know, Big Chief and Littlefoot there. This is India, India. And they have this group called the, in, uh, in the Army, uh, in the Army that they have, they call it the Service Corps. These soldiers 
set a collective world record when they rode just under a mile on a motorcycle. 58 of them on one motorcycle. They broke their own record, which they set in 2010 with 56 men. They went on to say that uh, it, it, it took them three tries. The first two times they attempted this on a, uh, on a uh, 500cc motorcycle, it caused them to crash. They wiped out, one time they wiped out, the article said, spectacularly. That they, you know, just a disaster. But so they were asked about it, and he said that it has to do with each other holding on in a combined balance and cooperation and cohesion, cohesion required for such an endeavor. It does not come easy. But they were able to do it. This group actually holds 19 different world records. That they're this kind of group. They, they said, you know what, we can do this together. And obviously one can't set a record for this kind of record. You need others and you need a commitment to each other. Jude, Jude chapter 1, which only has one chapter, verses 22 and 23 says, And you must show mercy to those who are whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them out of the flyers, uh, the flames of judgment, showing mercy st- uh, to still others, doing with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. James puts it this way, Dear brothers and sisters, if any of you wander away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that those who bring back the sinner... Bring uh, from wandering will save a person from death and bring about forgiveness of many sins. This is the picture of those who would wander by themselves that we need each other to pull us back. We would drift. It said that if we were to blindfold you and put you in a big field and tell you to walk in a straight line, you will eventually do a circle. Because each one of us has a dominant leg. Most of us on your body, if you have two, you have a dominant arm, a dominant hand. You're right-handed, you're left-handed. You have a dominant leg, you have a dominant eye. And in that, you can understand that you would begin to walk in a circle. This wouldn't be straightforward. This was seen and understood that a plane crew, an American bomber plane crew that had bombed, taken off from Germany and bombed and was flying back, their instruments said that they had made a three-hour flight in one hour, and they didn't believe it. So they kept on flying and crashed in North Africa. And in the desert, they ended up walking in circles. We'll drift by ourselves. We need people to help us so that we don't drift. In our text, it talks about encouragement of helping people. Helping people is 
often found in language. In verse 11 of Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, of 1 Thessalonians 5, just a few verses before our text, it says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. One of the great ways you build people up is by the words you speak. And how are you speaking? We're going to look at that because Paul details three different ways of worry, of how you build people up in our text. But you have to learn to speak that language. You know, when my children were small and they would not get their way, they would do what most children do. They would whine. Would say, I'm sorry, we don't speak whinese. Don't understand. I don't speak that language. Some of us need to learn the proper way to speak to encourage. New Yorkers can be a little bit sarcastic. I don't know if you haven't noticed that around here. Nothing wrong with funny sarcasm. In fact, I think it helps. Sometimes I've seen I've used it to break the ice. People would say, oh, you know, I, I totally forgotten. I'd be like, I can't relate. I've never forgot anything. It breaks the ice because all of a sudden they realize, OK, yeah, you're human. You get it right. You're mocking the situation because you know what? What else can you do at this point? But the reality or, or you know, of learning how to encourage people, Ephesians 4.29, do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will encourage those who hear them. So what kind of words do you use? What kind of speech? These two ladies, they encouraged each other. Somewhere along the line, both of them wanted to quit. One at one time, you know, my wife and I, I, I think I've shared with you, we had a rule when we were missionaries, we could not be discouraged on the same day together. Couldn't do it. You saw one slip, you had to back off and say, okay, this is their day, they're going to have a bad day, I've got to just kind of sit back and, you know, and I've shared the story of how the shower stopped on my wife when her hair was soaked up and the pump had frozen outside, our cars were dead, and it was just a bad day. And my day was when I lost my keys and got ripped off by a landlord for $500 and all sorts of others. You know, both those were the big bad days, but we had other days. Those were the firsts that we marked down in our missionary time. Learning to speak, learning to encourage, learning to read other people. Allowing others to have a bad moment or a bad time. And the danger is people who pull back. I don't want that. I'd rather quit. Hebrews 10, 25, And let us not neglect the meeting together, as some do, but let us encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. When people are hiding, when people are missing for lame reasons. <coughs> Don't feel good. I 
And I'm not against being sick. Believe me, if you're sick, don't come. But some people are sick a lot because they're sick and tired is really their problem. That's that sarcasm. Paul is warning people. If, you, if you're not together, you're going to lose the plot. It's not about the ego of attendance. or It's about your future. Jesus said, John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You know, love is a two-way street. Your love for others and others and allowing others to love you. Some people are like porcupines, right? You love them at a distance, but you get too close, you're going to get hurt. I get it. In our text, Paul gives three examples of how to love people. Our text says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. The Message Bible says of this, our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out to the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs. Warning the lazy. The term in the Greek literally means out of order. I don't know if you've ever gone up to a machine or something you wanted to use and there's a taped handwritten note on it, out of order. Right? You wanted to buy a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi or something and the machine's out of order. Or you're trying to use an ATM or some kind of out of order. It can be a vex when that's happening. That's literally what it means. The term means to break rank as well, to be out of the order of a military. It has a military terminology as well, just like we would have out of order in the military. One commentary wrote and said that it has to do with ministers and the church to admonish those who are living contrary to the requirements of the gospel. There is some, there is so little petty, uh, pity in the church, so many professional religions, religious people who go astray. There's a great number of church members who feel no responsibility to this subject. They suppose it is the duty of the officers of the church to admonish an erring brother or sister and hence become careless and cold and even worldly, and no one utters a word to recall them to walk holy before God. Sometimes, as Pastor Mitchell used to say, some people need a gentle tap on the shoulder. Others need a spiritual two-by-four to get their attention. Because they're out of order. This is important. 
It is not the job of everyone to go around correcting everyone else. That's, that's the Holy Spirit's business. But the Holy Spirit may put someone on your heart who is not doing well. And sometimes it's not a gentle tap that they need. It's a... Spiritually speaking. Do right or you're going to be in trouble. The Bible illustrator says, In pursuing peace, fidelity was not to be sacrificed. In one of the methods in the Christian peace might be promoted was faithfulness and a tender rebuke to those who were quarrelsome in temper, wayward in conduct, and disturbing harmony in the church. That sometimes they had to be dealt with. The Bible tells Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, as a minister, your job is to rebuke, encourage, correct with all humility. He brings out there in First Timothy that the first job sometimes is, hey, stupid, don't be stupid, okay? Sometimes you got to do that. That's a biblical understanding, a rebuke. I remember in Lithuania, very caste society, very face society. And they, the church had just, we had a, a couple come in, nice couple, nice looking couple. They just, you know, young couple. They came into church. Nobody talked to them. Like, I mean, altar call comes. I can't do it. Right? If you, right? Some people think, well, it's pastor's job. Like, I, it wasn't my job. I wasn't good in Lithuania at this point. I was still not good. My wife can understand me. I don't know if a Lithuanian can understand me, but a, my wife can. And I can impress you, but because you don't understand. Suprati? As you know, tu suprotu. But I do also... So I'm looking at that, and I got, you know, I'm, and so I got, I, we had a team in from Holland, and I go up to the Paul, and I said, folks, what are you doing? We spend hours outreaching to get people to come in, and then you won't talk to them? Really? What is the point of outreaching then? They're all, mm, you, you yelled at us, you, me, me, you, 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 like, no, I'm not here. To simply be everybody's best. You know, I'm not, I'm not just here because it's a nice tourist spot. Because Lithuania's not. We had more visitors in three years in Ireland than we ever did in our 11 years in Lithuania. Because people want to go to Ireland. They don't want to go to Lithuania. I have yet to meet someone who goes, that's on my bucket list. I just haven't met yet. I'm sure they're out there. But I haven't met them. And it changed the church. They actually began to reach out to people. I had gently asked somebody, hey, would you talk to this couple? And they went, yeah, and then didn't. Mario, what are you doing? We never did see that couple again. I don't know anything about them. 
I couldn't talk to them. They didn't speak English. Sometimes you have to do that. Paul writes to the Colossians. He says, tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all the wisdom God has given us. We may present them to God perfect in their relationship with Christ. Sometimes you got to warn. If you see your child going to the stove to touch a hot stove, you don't go, oh, honey, don't do that. Because they're going to get their fingers burned. Warning people. Sometimes it has to be done. And it makes people uncomfortable. Sometimes they need to be uncomfortable. Otherwise, they're going to be totally comfortable until they reach the gates of hell. The second thing Paul says is encourage the timid. The King James uses the term the feeble-minded. It is actually a term that means ill-spirited. Those that are sick or struggling. It had the term of those lagging behind. And again, in this opening illustration, these two, young, these two ladies, uh, they're lagging behind. They're finishing last. Literally, if I had showed you the whole video, you could have seen the cruisers behind them. They were the last runners of the race. They're coming in. They're encouraged. This is the picture of encouragement. There's people who are lagging behind. There's people who need just somebody to encourage them. Not to make the way harder for them, but to help them. To bring them along. To say, you know what? This is what you need. You can do this. We can do this. God can help you. Romans 1, verse 12. Then we together, I want to encourage you in your faith. And also, I want to be encouraged by yours. Paul says again, it's a two-way street. As I encourage people... I want them to encourage me. There's something about seeing people come to church that's encouraging to know some of the things. Sometimes as a pastor, sometimes you just know other, you just, you know, know they've got it tough. They've got situations. They've got a long drive. They've got busy with kids and and, you know, uh, and, you know, (laughs) it was the parade of car seats this morning as they were going out, right? And someone mentioned to my wife, there'll be more. And I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that at all. Right? John Gooding came from, to preach for me. And, and I'm, I'm, we're going to work on getting him here. He's Dr. Gooding. He's a phenomenal preacher. He's also one of the most educated, smartest men I've ever met on planet Earth. But he doesn't make you, or he doesn't make me, let me rephrase that. He doesn't make me... A guy who squeaked through high school feel dumb. He's very 
uh, very kind and with that. He encouraged me. He once prophesied correctly over me. He said, you know what, Keith? Life's going to get more expensive and more busy. We just started having kids. And I was like, yeah. And I asked him about that years later. I'm like, do you remember saying that? He goes, oh, yeah, because I said it to everyone. That's just the way life works. It gets more expensive and more busy. It's just the way it is. I could properly prophesy it over all of you. Right? That's the way life is. And sometimes in it, people get weary, ill-spirited, weak. He says we have to care for the weak as well. It's very interesting that a a research institute recently surveyed 10,000 Americans aged 13 to 25 or the Gen Zers about their religious views and involvement, and were surprised what researchers, uh, and they surprised the researchers with the views who claim to be affiliated with mainstream religion. Josh Packard, the director of this, said we're checking uh, the boxes that they're either Jewish or Catholic or Christian or whatever, but over half of them saying even though they checked the box, they did not trust organized religion. This sort of stunning and not what you'd expect from somebody who had checked all the boxes. They went on to say that they reported uh, a relational authority, which means that relationship was not based on hierarchy or title, but in a genuine interest in people. Four to five Gen Z members surveyed said they were likely to take guidance from those who cared about them. Reported the five points of characteristics, listening, transparency, integrity, care, and experience. Experience came last on the list intentional because 65% of these young adults expressed that experience does not matter if the adult listening does not care. This is summed up in the basic general thing. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Very simple. And Gen Z proves that. Care for the weak. To actually be looking and have a heart for that. It is in a smaller group that that can be very healthy. And relationships Form. When I grew up on Cape Cod, there were two main music stores. And I hung out in music stores a lot. And there was Charlie's Music and Music Unlimited. And I would go into Charlie. Charlie's actually had one of the guys, Pastor Campo just told me when he was here, that uh, Keith, a namesake, had passed away. He just recently passed away and owned this store forever and such. And... I knew him and knew who he was and such. But I would rather go to Music Unlimited because Glenn knew my name. When I'd walk in, the manager of that store, Glenn, he would take time, learn my name, and I ended up spending my money in there because of relationship. I may have shopped and compared and tried to compete against the two and get one to, but it wasn't worth it. I didn't care. Glenn had taken time to learn my name. That was enough. I was 14 years old, 15 years old. And that was impressive to me. 
Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. There's an old saying, where do you hide an elephant? There's two thoughts. One is a cherry tree. Have you ever seen an elephant in a cherry tree? The other is you hide an elephant in a pack of elephants. There are people who can struggle and hide in the group of a church, in a crowd. They can just be there. I've pastored for a long time, seen revivals, seen preachers come, seen the altars pack, look out, and there's someone out there. They're not moved. It's like, I know they were in the same service everyone else here was in. How did that happen? They're hiding in a pack of elephants. Well, I was in church. Yeah, but did you experience God? Did you come seeking God? Was your heart open to God? Were you allowing the Holy Spirit to deal with you? They also say for people to make it in any church, a new believer, it's usually three points of contact. Usually it takes three different people reaching out to them. Now that could be a shake of a hand. That could be a recognition the second time they come. Could be something like that. But if they only have one or two, they don't tend to make it. Three really strengthens that. That's another advantage of a Bible study. Gives a chance to build relationships An article in Wired Magazine. Now, I don't know if you know Wired Magazine, but let's just say it is not a bastion of Christian theology. Just saying. They wrote an article explaining why AA has helped millions of people recover from alcohol addiction. The article begins to say, despite all we've learned over the past few decades about psychology, neurology, and human behavior, uh, uh, and medicines, we have yet to derive anything that works markedly better. The question is, why does AA help so many people find me? Sobriety? The article focused on factors that small groups of like-minded friends who, uh, who... Uh, Provide support, honesty, and accountability. The article describes the honest sharing of problems with uh, small groups and supportive friends is shown to be helpful for people to overcome their problems. And it goes on to cite others. In 1905, a Boston physician, Joseph Pratt, organized a weekly meeting for patients who suffered from tuberculosis. He was simply trying to teach others better uh, better health habits. Surprisingly, he discovered that the group excelled at providing emotional support. 
he concluded by sharing about their common disease to help them develop a common bond. A Stanford study, uh, uh, a, uh, a pair of researchers reviewed 200 study groups on therapy and concluded that group members developed close bonds uh, uh, with the other members and deeply influenced the by their acceptance and feedback. A 2009 study uh, talking about those who suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder found that 83% of those who participated in the study no longer exhibited PTSD symptoms versus 31% who received minimal one-on-one interaction. The opposite is also true. They all found out in a two, 2010 survey published in the Annals of Medicine, Annals of Internal Medicine, found that 50% of people are more likely to be heavy drinkers if a friend or a relative is a heavy drinker. And a 2007 study also concluded that the odds of someone becoming obese increased by 71% if they had a same-sex friend who was obese. That's incredible, the influence we have on each other, for good or for bad. Bring it down to the Bible studies now. Our text says, brothers and sisters, we urge you, warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak, be patient with everyone. Now, if we could all be honest, for just a few minutes, we've all been the lazy one who needed a rebuke. We've all been the weak one who needed tender care. And we've all been the timid one who needed encouragement. I was telling a pastor recently how in a very short time I had received two phone calls from two pastors. These were young men in the field and they just wanted to call. They had, their pastor had rebuked them and they were trying to process this all through. And so they called me and they were like, you know, how do I handle this, you know? Uh, what do you think? And, uh, you know, I've been warned, I, you know, this, I might be out of the ministry if this doesn't change or what I, uh, and I just encouraged them. You know what? Been there, done that. Want to see the scars? No. We've all been there. We've all been the stupid one. We've all been the lazy one. We've all been the discouraged one. We've all been the feeble-minded one. So Paul writes and he says, you know what? Just be patient with people. I've rebuked people. They get mad. Nobody likes to be rebuked. Nobody's excited. When I rebuked the church, there were two ladies in particular very upset with me. How could you do that to us? Would you yell at your kids publicly? Uh, yes, I have. 
One is the pastor's wife of that church today. Because she got it. She actually thanked me later. She goes, you know, thank you. We were just, you know, we just didn't get it. We just didn't get it. It wasn't in our culture. But I understand now what you were talking about. This is Donatus' wife. The other one went on. She became a pastor. Her husband eventually became a pastor. Helped me with some Bible studies. Preached in Russia. Preached to different places. Has since passed away. But they got it. They were those people. We've all been those people, so can we be patient with all? And it is in a Bible study. A smaller group, as the church grows, we'll have more and more and more. We'll have, you know, more than three. That we can fulfill this scripture. That we can fulfill what God wants to do in our lives. And how God wants to help each and every one of us. Because some days you're the encourager. And some days you need the encouragement. Some days you're the rebuker. Some days you're the one getting rebuked. The way life works. The way it has to be. We need each other. And that's the importance. The relationships that are built in the Bible studies are very healthy and very important. That's why we're going to do these and why we've started them and why we will continue them on through. We weren't, COVID, of course, slowed us all down. But we're going to have these go on and every winter we're going to do these because they are healthy for those reasons. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. You're here this evening. You're not right with God. Maybe you needed a rebuke and you didn't get it. Don't, be, don't do that. Maybe you needed encouragement. Whatever it is. God knows. But you've got to deal with your sin. You've got to be willing to say, I'm a sinner And I'm not right with God. And I need to get my heart right with God. And God, Jesus is reaching out. Your heart is pounding. The Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart right now. Maybe you don't understand everything. I didn't understand everything when I responded to an altar call. But I knew I wasn't right with God. And I knew I needed to get my heart right. And maybe you're here and you're not right with God. You want Jesus to help you. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not right with God, but I need to get my heart right. We're not perfect people in here. We're forgiven. God has done a work in our hearts and changed our lives, and he wants to do that for you. Very quickly, slip up your hand and say, pray for me. Thank God. Thank God. Maybe you're backslidden wandered away. Well, you know what? James says if those who bring you back will you'll cover a multitude of sins in your life. 
under the blood of Jesus Christ forgiven. Because sometimes people do stray. But you can come back. Get your heart right. That's you. You're backslidden. Slip up your hand. Pray for me. Need to get my heart right. Thank God. Someone else, join an honest heart. Say, that's me. I'm not right with God. I'm not saved or I'm backslidden. You want to get your heart right very quickly. Praise God. You mean that? Look at me. You raise your hand. Would you look at me? You mean that, don't you? Would you come? Brian's going to pray with you. You want to get your heart right? Come. Just kneel down right here. Yanni's going to pray with you. Thank God. Anyone else want to join these? Just kneel down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank God. Anyone else want to join these very quickly? Changing the call then to Christians. That is the responsibility that each one of us has. And again, not to be the policeman. Don't go around just rebuking everybody for every little thing. Because God help you when you screw up then. And you will. Just saying. But the reality is, is you know what? It's in a small group. Bible study size groups. That that's going to be healthy. Amen. That's why we're going to pray for the leaders. But let's all stand for a moment. We're going to sing a song. Worship is deemed. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. These altars are open. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. free. 
Let's give him praise. Let's worship him. Father, we love you. We praise you, God. We love you and honor you. We worship you. Hallelujah.